the Bible reading today is Hebrews 12, starting at verse 14. Hebrews 12, verse 14. It's titled, Warning and Encouragement. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word would be spoken, further word to be be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, How much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful And so worship God acceptably with reference and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Thank you, Erica. Okay, so hopefully you've got that um, passage at hand. I'll be uh, referring to it at different times. All the verses, if they're in the passage, I don't always put them up here because I'm working on the theory that you've got it in front of you. So um, that's just tip for the day. Let me pray. Father, uh, we thank you for your word and this part of your word. We thank you for this letter, uh, Hebrews, that we know as the book of Hebrews and uh, the journey that you've taken us on through this book over the last couple of months. But Lord, today as we kind of wrap it up, uh, help us to really get our heads and our hearts ready before you. Help us to uh, be ready to hear what you're saying to us, to reflect back on what we've been hearing and to allow your spirit to speak to us and to change us and to call us to be the people that you've made us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, here we are. We are right near the end of... uh, This is the last message from Hebrews in this series. And I want to start by asking us to think about worship. Worship. What does true worship or proper worship look like? And uh, I love it by the way, uh, when our music team are up here and, uh, you know, 
uh, Hayden's there on the drums and Jordan playing away and Don's looking very cool and John's an absolute kind of rock star and our ladies up the front here. Uh, it's fantastic. And uh, look, I've got some other pictures that there's a picture that we might think of when we're thinking about worship and another one. Uh, yeah, all different styles of were they kids reading their Bibles very keenly there, aren't they? This has all got to be part of worship, hasn't it? Do we have, is that the last one? I think it might be. What's next? Yeah. We put that up there because, you know, all of those things, those pictures of worship, fantastic. Um, of course, we know that worship is a bigger idea than just our singing or what we do here on a Sunday morning. It's our whole of life, isn't it? And that Romans passage really captures that. Romans 12.1 Brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. It's a whole of life thing. Um, so that's where we're going today. Um, as we wrap up Hebrews, we're going to be asking this question, how do we worship God properly? What we're going to see, the answer, is that it's all about freedom and joy and obedience. It's all about living in a way that is possible because of the completed work of Jesus Christ through his death, through, through his resurrection, the new relationship that we can have with God, the awesome creator God, because of Jesus. And that's what we're going to be thinking about today. So remember, and just casting your minds back to some of the things we've looked at in previous weeks, Jesus has done it all. Do you remember that whole notion? He is both the priest and the sacrifice. That, that kind of imagery drawing on the Old Testament. Remember chapter 10, I think verse 25, after doing it all, he sat down at the right hand of God. He completed it. It is done in Jesus Christ. And so, because of that, our task is simply to hang in there with our faith, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus and letting our faith shape our lives, shape who we are before him. That's it. It's all done. We just need to live in the wonderful freedom and joy and obedience that is possible because of all that. And this is, you can hear... In the, in the author's kind of final words here, this last kind of chapter and a half, where he's just trying to say, do you get it? Do you see it? Hold on, persevere. So look at these verses 14 to 17 again. Um, and I, I've, I've kind of titled this, Get On With Living For God. This is where he's coming from here. So we're just going to read them again, verses 14 and 17, where he says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless. And then there's this bit about Esau, right? Don't be godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. That bit is all a little bit weird to our kind of contemporary Australian ears. 
but I'll show you what that's on about in a minute. But this whole section, similar ideas to things we've seen earlier. He's saying make every effort to persevere in this. Now, remember, it's not about, and I know I keep saying this, but it's not about earning God's approval, make every effort. That's not what he's saying here. Because our faith, of course, and our acceptance by God are grounded in the completed work of Christ and what he's done on the cross and through rising from the dead, defeating death, right? But if our faith is real, this is what it's saying. Make every effort, right? If our faith is real, of course we're going to want to let it shape our lives, aren't we? If it's real, not to earn God's approval, but just to let him have his way in our lives, because he is such a good and wonderful God. Okay, so get on with living for God. Make every effort to pursue peace and holiness. Now reflect on those two. I mean, peace, that's about our relationships with each other, isn't it? Holiness, that's about our own lives, isn't it? And saying, if, 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 if we are going to allow God's faith to shape our lives, that's going to transform our relationships with others and it's going to transform our own lives, right? We must not make every effort. We must not let any kind of sin take root in our lives or in our relationships. We've got to be serious about this, make every effort. And then this little phrase there, see to it that no one falls short. See to it that no one falls short. This reminds me of that whole notion that we visited this briefly earlier. We need each other in this, right? See to it that no one falls short. We need each other. Remember back in chapter 10 where it said, um, don't give up meeting together, right? It's this notion that we're not, God hasn't just told us to do it on our own. He's given us the great gift of community. That's why we meet together on a Sunday morning. That's why we have connect groups, because we need each other. And we're here to encourage each other together. See to it that no one falls short. And then there's this, the bitter root. It talks about this bitter root. Um, See to it that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble. What's that about? That's an allusion back to Deuteronomy. So these, remember Hebrews, the author here is continually drawing on these ideas and images and events from the Old Testament to show kind of what they all mean in the context post-Jesus, right? And the bitter root comes from Deuteronomy 29, 29.18, where it refers to those who have, who have turned away from the Lord to worship other gods, right? And the point here being, when people do that, it actually affects others. So take it seriously. Do everything you can to keep people focused in rightly on their, their right worship of God. We help each other in this. And then there's the bit about Esau. Don't be like Esau, it's saying. Don't be like Esau. And you know what? The, you know the big thing here that I think we're supposed to notice? We're supposed to notice how different Esau is to all those examples of faith back in chapter 11. Do you remember when John was speaking the other week about all the examples of faith who kind of put up with all this suffering this side of heaven because they had their eyes fixed on you know, the goal in faith, right? Esau is kind of like the opposite to that, right? He gave away what is is kind of unseen and in the future for his immediate kind of short-term benefit, didn't he? He had this blessing as the firstborn son that he was going to receive, but 
he, he kind of gave that away on a whim just for a meal. And then he only realized too late uh, that it was lost for good. And it's, it's worth reflecting on that. He, he hadn't, as the firstborn son, he hadn't earned his blessing that he was going to receive, ultimately. It was like a gift. Uh, but, but like a gift that he seemed to have presumed upon or taken for granted the way he just kind of um, flitted it away like that. Uh, now think about us. Don't be like Esau is what he's saying here. Have we not been blessed abundantly in Jesus Christ? We have, haven't we? And it's all about grace. We haven't earned it. Right? And in many ways, the, the fullness of the blessing that we look forward to is, a, is very much a future thing. Like There's blessing now, but in all its fullness, it's the future. Right? The temptation, can it not be, is to, like Esau, to take it for granted this wonderful, gracious blessing that we have in Jesus. And, 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 but, but what an outrageous response to grace. How, how could we, as the, as the undeserving but beloved recipients of God's salvation in Jesus, how could we take it for How could we presume upon it? How could we just, yeah, take it for granted? So that's, that's what it's saying. A bit like the husband who presumes upon the faithful love of his wife. Right? We don't want to be people who risk losing what we have because we've treated it with contempt. And that's the message here in terms of faith and the grace of God. We need to be thankful for faith, for grace. We need to take sin seriously. Get on. So this is what he's saying. That's what I've called it. Get on with living for God. It matters. Right. So, question at the, already at this point: What are the sins that you are tempted to allow just to creep in on the side there? Because you know it's all about grace, so it doesn't really matter. Right? What are the sins that you might be tempted just to turn a blind eye to this week? Right? How terrible! How terrible! And I say this to myself as well: that we could so easily presume upon the beautiful grace and the costly grace of, of God through Jesus Christ. Right? We need to repent. Right? Don't be like Esau. That's what he's saying. Okay, don't be like Esau. Okay, get on with listening to God. Next, this is true worship. That's our original initial question. This whole section here, and this is probably the, very, the, the heart of this section. In many ways, one of the big points in Hebrews, true worship. And look, it may be a bit intriguing, those verses from verses 18 onwards about the mountain burning with fire and all the rest. I'll tell you what we've got here, and when you get it, you'll love it, because it's really cool, okay? You've got Mount Sinai, and you've got Mount Zion being described here, right? Now, Mount Sinai is where the law was given to the people of God with Moses, right? So it represents the law. And then you've got Mount Zion, which represents Jerusalem, or probably more rightly, the heavenly Jerusalem, and the new covenant that's been established, the new relationship that's been established through Jesus. So Mount Sinai, the law, Mount Zion, Jesus. And you've got these two pictures being painted here. And it's very cool when you look at it. So the Old Testament picture, the Mount Sinai picture, let's verses 18 to 21. It says, you've not come to a mountain that can be touched, and that is burning with fire, 
to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. Even Moses, right? Now the imagery here and what the original readers would have thought of straight away is that picture of Mount Sinai. And you can read about it. It's in Exodus chapters 18 and 19 or in Deuteronomy uh, chapters 4 and 5. Sorry, Exodus 19 and 20. It's this picture of Mount Sinai and it's a very physical picture and it's a scary picture. There is fire, there is darkness, there is this storm. Can you remember it from reading some of the stories when the law was given to God's people on Mount Sinai? There was the trumpet and it's very physical. It could be seen, it could be touched, it could be heard. And yet, at the same time, it was terrifying. Right? The people were, 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 were terribly afraid of, of this kind of awesome sight before them. It says that they were forbidden from even touching the mountain. Remember, they had to stay right back. And even an animal couldn't go and touch this mountain. It's so kind of awesome and terrifying. They, and, and it says... They couldn't bear to hear what they were hearing. And what were they hearing? They were hearing the laws of God, which were just, they knew it was beyond them. They were strict laws with very harsh penalties, ultimately. Now, what God was doing here was a pretty amazing thing, remember? He'd saved his people from slavery. He'd made them these people. And he was giving them these laws so that they, to bless them, so that they would know how to live as his people, but he was the holy God and we get a picture of kind of the seriousness of his holiness here Uh, and so it's a scary thing for them as they considered who they were before the holy God, the law, that's the way of the law. So what we see, even though what God is doing here is a good thing, there is a real separateness. You've got the holiness of God represented by all this kind of awesome fire and storm on the mountain And you've got the people of God, right, who just don't kind of measure up. And God provided the laws and the sacrifices to show that he was a God who wanted them to come back to him. But as we know, that was never sufficient. But that was the way of things, this kind of separateness. Think of the temple, the temple, and we talked about it before, where you've got the holy of holies, where only, only the high priest could go in, and then only once a year, and then only after doing all these kind of sacrifices, right? The separateness between God, the holy creator God, and his people. That's the Old Testament picture. That's what the law tells us about, right? That's one picture. But we've got another picture here now, don't we? And it's the New Testament picture. And that is verses, the next verses, 22 to 24. Yeah, um, yeah, different kind of picture. I found a couple of images there. I don't know if they're helpful. But anyway, 22 to 24. But you, you haven't come to that mountain, but you have come to Mount Zion. To the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, in some ways, it's a similar picture. But it's also a very different picture here. 
isn't it? This Mount Zion. God is still awesome, right? He's not just kind of this nice guy, right? He's still praised by angels. He's still judge of all. He is still the holy God. The big difference here, the big difference, the beautiful difference, is that that sense of dread and separation from God for his people, it's gone. It's gone because of Jesus. God's mountain now isn't physical so much, but it is spiritual reality. Now his people can come together and worship in his presence with each other, in his awesome presence, with freedom and with joy. That is the difference. Not because we're good enough or not because of all the kind of religious activity the people of God might do, whether Jewish or otherwise, but because of Jesus and what and what he has done, the completed work of Christ on the cross for us the one who rose again from the dead. And you've got that reference to Abel's blood there. Abel's blood, remember when he was killed by his brother, it speaks of the condemnation of a sinner. Jesus' blood speaks of forgiveness. So two very different things. Thanks be to Jesus. Thanks be to Jesus. We come to Mount Zion, not Mount Sinai. So it's two pictures of worship here, do you see? People gathered around this Mount Sinai. It's all about the law and the separation. And Mount Zion, joy and freedom to come into the very presence of the awesome God. That picture that because of Jesus we are free now to worship God with our whole lives, not held back or crippled, by the things that might separate us from him, by our sin or by our guilt, we are free in Christ to joyfully worship him with, the, with our whole lives, with all that we are. That's the picture here. We're not bound to Old Testament laws and rituals, of course. We're not bound to any laws and rituals, really. No religious activity. It's not what it's about. It's about our whole life of faith for him. Okay. Now, as we reflect on this, Why would God's people, because the author here is trying to help these kind of Jewish Christians get kind of understand what Jesus has done for them. But why would they or any Christians, even today, ever be tempted to go back to Mount Sinai? You know, the way of the law. Why? And yet, you know what? I reckon we're often tempted to do that. You know, I think we do that. Think of the way we kind of muddle ourselves all up, worrying about whether we're good enough for God. Or, you know, trying to earn his approval by doing a whole bunch of, you know, doing enough good things or enough by being a good enough Christian. How about that one? You know, I mean, I've got, I've got news for you. I think you know this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. You do know, don't you, that even if you go to church every week and sing with gusto, Right, which is what we often call worship. Right, even if you do that, even if you go to that connect group and you're kind of really committed there, even if you put your name on rosters, and that's a good thing to do, let me say. <laughs> um, even if you are on the leadership team here, if you're a deacon, right? Um, that's not going to earn God's approval, is it? 
Uh, it's not going to create how we, we are saved by grace alone through faith in Jesus. That means by putting our trust in him and what he's done for us. That's it. But how good. So, guys, stop feeling self-righteous because of the stuff we are doing. Stop feeling guilty and held back because we know we're not kind of making the grade. Leave Mount Sinai behind, right? Let's go and live in the light and the freedom and the joy of Mount Zion. Do you get it? These pictures, we are saved by grace. Leave it behind. What does God want from you and me? Psalm 51, 17 is, 51 is one of my favourites. I know I'm not alone in this. He, all he wants is a broken and contrite heart. He wants a humble heart before him. Right? That he never turns away. Thanks be to Jesus. Grace. Okay. And look, just a word on freedom. I've been using the word a bit. Because of Jesus, we are free. What is freedom? I, I want to mention this because I think we often kind of have a silly idea of freedom, you know. Freedom being, you know, doing whatever we want to do, of the pursuit of pleasure, whatever. Um, you know that's a dead end, don't you? What is true freedom? It is about being who our loving creator made us to be. Right? The one who knows us best and who wants good things for us. It's about being who he made us to be. That's true freedom. Because, you know, sin and guilt, they hold us back from living into that. But Jesus sets us free from our sin and guilt so that we can live into who we were made to be in freedom. We're free to do that. We're not shackled or held back. Okay. Freedom, a word on freedom. There's another warning. I'm not going to read all the rest here, but verses 25 to 29, there's another warning. God's grace, that it's about grace, doesn't mean that it's okay for me to take him for granted, right? You can't do that. He's the awesome God who, who, who must be obeyed. He is, right? Look at verses 28 and 29, just to read those two. It says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken... Right? We are receiving this wonderful gift, awesome gift. Let us be thankful. Let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Do you see? Thankfulness leads to reverence and awe. Worshipping God acceptably because our God is a consuming fire. He's not stopped being awesome. It's just the wonder of what Jesus has done for us that we can come into his presence as his beloved children. Don't take that for granted. That's those verses there. Um, and now all of that to bring us to the final chapter 13. Okay, the final chapter. And uh, here the author kind of wraps it all up. by after it made, He's just made this big point, right? That's what we've just been talking about. And, 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 and after this, he's just kind of wrapping things up. That's how I see it anyway. With, with a whole list of exhortations or encouragements for the people but you know what they are these exhortations these encouragements they're a bit kind of random and scattered but they're like practical examples really of what it looks like to live out our faith in thankful trusting obedience it's what worship was going to mean actually for the people to whom he was writing at this time in the light of their context and how they needed to be living okay so let's 
consider some of the things in this list. We're not going to spend a lot of time on them all, but verse 13, I've called it some familiar challenges. I think we're going to be able to relate to some of these. Um, So just going through them a little bit. Verse 1, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Well, that's an obvious one, but there it is. It's that self-giving love that should so characterize Christians as the recipients of God's self-giving love in Jesus. It's so fundamental, and yet isn't this where we often lose the battle we don't love okay keep loving one another as brothers and sisters verse 2 do not forget to show hospitality to strangers for by so doing some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it hospitality there it is it was very important in the early church because uh you know there weren't a lot of places for travellers to stop and the ones that did exist weren't necessarily the most reputable. So it was very important for them. But hospitality is an eating together. They are still so important for us today, are they not? For relationships, for, 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 for good fellowship together and for welcoming others in. Hospitality, right? Are we being generous with our time and with our homes in this kind of way? And then there's that bit about angels. <laughs> I mean, what's that? Um, I, I, no, I think it's a reminder, isn't it, that the spiritual implications of our obedience and generosity in this way may go well beyond what, what, what we necessarily see immediately in front of us. If there's a bigger picture going on and we don't always see it. Obedience really matters. Okay, verse 3, um, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who were mistreated, as if you yourselves were suffering. Now, there aren't too many in Australia who are imprisoned for their faith, but uh, we've really got no excuse, do we, today, for a lack of awareness of what's going on in some parts of God's world. Don't forget. Keep praying. What can we do? How can we stand with our brothers and sisters? It can be easy to forget in our context. Let's make sure that's not us. Okay, verse 4 addresses adultery and sexual immorality. Are we remembering God in this part of our lives? Like I said, some familiar challenges. Verses 5 and 6, another familiar challenge, talks about the love of money. Uh, Contentment and trusting God where our real security lies. That's what we're called to do. That's the opposite to loving money. Don't love money, trust God. Seek contentment. Okay. Verse 7 talks about leaders. Talks about look considering the outcome of their way of life and imitating them. So there you go, leaders. There's something for you to look out for. The Bible encourages people to watch us and imitate us. A bit scary. Um, but I'll tell you, I, it made me think of when I was a a younger person and the church I was at as a young adult I did actually notice there were some people who were a bit older who I thought man I like the way you're doing it like they were good solid Christians um, but their lives were going well it, not that everything was rosy but the way they navigated things and I'm going to tell you there was one family uh, the Stedman family I loved that family I was a young adult and the dad 
He used to help run a surf company. They drove a proper combi, not a fake one like mine. They had six kids. He would turn up to church in stubbies and thongs. And this was in North Shore, Sydney, where you didn't usually do that, right? And I thought he was so cool. Oh, and he came from Crescent Head. And they were just genuine Christians. And they, they, were, they had six of their own kids, but they, were fo- they always fostered, they kept fostering kids. And you know what? You might have even seen them. They were in Eternity magazine and on the news recently because they got an Order of Australia. They're still doing it today. They fostered like 70-something kids over the years. But I remember looking at them and thinking, I'm not going to copy them, but I, I want to I take on board. I want to learn from them. And I think that's a good thing to do, actually. Look around you. You know, the, the examples we follow, the, the way of life that we often get tempted into, if we look at the way the, where that ends up for people that live that way, we might have, have second thoughts. But you look at people and you, the, you, you think, oh, that's the kind of life I'd like to be living. I'm going to try and learn from them. I think there's value in that. And this is one way we help each other. Okay, anyway, um, that's just that one. A bit distracted there. Verses 8 to 10 is saying, oh, look, just you've got the message of grace in Jesus. Don't drift from grace into other kind of strange distractions. Stick with the main thing. Hold true, right? Verses 11 to 14 has some interesting imagery. It's about, you know, some of the, 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 the sacrificial imagery again and being burnt outside the gate. And it's a way of saying Jesus suffered outside the gate. He wasn't the respectable option, right? His suffering was out there. It was shameful, right? And that's one of the main reasons people struggled with him back then. And, you know, the point being, if we follow the one who was rejected and suffered and sitting on the fringes like that, why would we expect it to be any different? Hang in there with him right our hope we've got a hope god blesses us in all kinds of ways right here and now but primarily our hope isn't going to be realized this side of heaven it's it's kind of something we'll only know in all its fullness ultimately and we can really struggle and suffer this side of things we have a pretty good here in lismore even with the floods many of us but we've got this wonderful hope Uh, we follow the suffering servant We can expect struggles. Okay, verse 17. Again, it's about leaders. It reminds us to honour leaders who uh, help us to keep growing in our faith. Right? It says, make their work a joy. There you go, John. We need to make your work a joy. Let's think about how to do that. But there's other leaders, obviously. Uh, It also reminds us of the big responsibility here that leaders have and how they will be Kind of there's this higher level of accountability. So make their work a joy, please, right? Uh, So there it is. Um, There's so many things in here. Look, all of these are, there's a whole bunch of things. I don't know which ones might be landing for you. But these are all real examples of what it means to truly worship God as we keep our eyes fixed on what he has done for us in Jesus. It's all about this kind of stuff. That's worship hospitality, love, helping your leaders do a good job. Don't drift into sexual immorality. This is worship, right? That's true worship. True worship. Um, Verses 15 and 16, I'll just read them. Through Jesus, therefore, 
Let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So when we come together and we sing like this, that's part of our worship. But it's this natural overflowing out of lives where we are seeking to live for him and allow him to transform us. Okay, true worship. Okay. Not that we earn God's approval. I'm just going to say it one more time. Not that we earn God's approval by trying to live and do all these things, right? We've got his approval in Jesus, right? It's that we are no longer crippled by sin and guilt and we are free to come into his very presence in all his holiness and we're able through Jesus then just to live for him. The grace of God. Verses 20 to 21. Look at them with as we wrap up, these are beautiful, powerful words. He says, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. It is all about what God has done in Jesus, what he's done and what he continues to do in and through and around us. He is gracious in salvation. He is gracious in transforming our lives. He is gracious in working through us. Let us live grace shaped lives and this is where hebrews ends verse 25 grace be with you all amen